welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host, Victor Rubio, and we are here to discuss season one, episode two, titled The Will. Uh, for new listeners, please go and listen to my introductory podcast uh, so you can see where I'm coming from with my takes on the show and, you know, just to get to know a little bit about me. For new listeners, uh, when I play this sound, that's me putting my funeral director lens or goggles on and giving you some insight from inside the industry. Uh, with that being said, let's get into our episode. Episode two of season one of Six Feet Under is titled The Will. It was directed by Miguel Arteta and written by Christian Williams. This episode aired June 10th, 2001. And our episode basically starts out uh, what I would like to call a, a death capsule. Uh, basically, every episode from here on out starts with a death. An anatomy of death, if you will, uh, followed by an obituary of sorts with the person's name, year of birth, year of death, and so on. In this episode, we get a Mr. Charles Swanson, uh, a victim of the pyramid scheme, which was, you know, pretty fairly popular in 2001. And even today, you know, would you like to try this herbal tea or weight loss green or, you know, health wrap and whatnot? Um, you know, he's living the perfect American life, pretty wife, pretty baby. Perfect physique, perfect house. Uh, Mr. Swanson takes a dive into the pool, hits his head in the bottom of the pool, all the while while the soundtrack of Dean Martin's Ain't That a Kick in the Head playing in the background. Um, Just to start out the episode, your six-feet humor on display. Uh, The show opens with a dream sequence of Keith and David in bed. And again, here we have Nathaniel being the psyche, asking the questions to David. You know, who's the wife here? Me personally, I, I translated this to David not being comfortable with himself and, you know, of being out of the closet with his family, you know, and not knowing his place in the relationship. You know, we have another great appearance later on in the episode from Nathaniel where David, having realized his fate, you know, Nathaniel says to him, this is Fisher and Sons and you're not having any kids. You know, a, a totally irrational for someone to think that at the time when he says it. And, you know, and to tie those two together, but, you know, this is your psyche talking to you. When, when is it ever rational? When do you rationally think outside of your mind and whatnot? When David is leaving Keith's house, uh, David mentions how this is a busy time of the year, the holidays, and he never knows when he has to work, unable to commit to plans later in the day. And... I worked as a a trade funeral director, uh, basically a freelance funeral director where I would be on call for certain funeral homes and they would call me once a case came in. Um, My experience with friends and family, uh, being on call was often perceived as I was trying to get out of stuff and could never fully commit to something. But, uh, you know, I can't lie, sometimes it was, but it was the nature of the beast. The, the feeling of committing to something but having to back out because of a call or a case coming in was difficult to deal with. And we'll see later in this episode how having that as your power or as your uh, crutch of your job can get you into trouble. 
Back in the pilot, I mentioned how there was a Kubrickian vibe with the hearse advertisement we saw to start off the pilot. Uh, here, Nate keeps talking to Dave in the HAL 9000 voice from, obviously, the movie 2001 Space Odyssey. And, and I love the little payoff we get from the pilot, or at least I think you know, I got with it. Uh, we also get a little bit later on when uh, David is in the casket and Nate is dreaming and he, you know, goes with the same voice, just repeating it back to Nate. Uh, Mrs. Swanson shows up on the doorstep of the Fisher and Sons funeral home. And what I noted here is that the death care industry has certainly changed from 2001. Uh, the, the euphemisms he uses are, you know, basically cringe-inducing. You know, translating the car he drove to the casket he should select. Uh, even selling a casket, a, a, a resting vessel. Uh, it's so sanitizing of death. Uh, it, it's hard getting people to use the proper terminology, uh, especially since us as an industry are constantly changing the lingo. People here and there still use the word coffin. And just to educate here a bit, a coffin is, the best example I could use is, it's your traditional six-sided box, but tapers off at the feet, giving it sort of a, a diamond shape. You know, uh, picture the casket Dracula would be in, whereas caskets, which are much more modern in today's world, is your six-sided box that does not taper down and, you know, it's used for burial and cremation. Uh, coffins are still used today, but they're mostly in the Eastern world. Later on, the Fisher family heads to the lawyer's office for the reading of the will. Um, there's a nice shot here in the lawyer's office where you know Dave and Nate are sitting as far as possible from each other, while both end up getting obviously 50% of the business. You know, just to see how far they are apart. You know, it was a nice shot. Uh, Nate obviously never wanted it and doesn't even think twice about handing it back over to Nate. Uh, which is a prime example of irony, as we see David points out. You know, it's funny here, too, how Claire has the young mindset of thinking she's she's so shackled down and having her college paid for. Uh, when in reality, if you're old enough to view it like this, you know, she's been giving a free pass to take on any profession, any education she wants to, and not having to worry about the financial cost of it. And, you know, something I, I wanted to point out here that I did not address in the pilot is just on the casting side, I mean, how much Claire and Ruth look alike. You know, if you didn't know better, you could swore they were related. You know, I just thought that was great casting in terms of looks. Something we didn't touch on is Claire's car, the old green hearse. I, in, in, my, in my profession, I've seen black, silver, and even white hearses, um, but never green. Being handed the old hearse, in my opinion, would never happen today for, for a regular car to drive. I guess I can't say never, but rather most likely wouldn't happen. You never get handed a car, or a hearse in this situation, of a family-owned funeral home that transported many of the community loved ones on a service. And, you know, not to mention, those hearses get horrible miles per gallon, are really slow, hard to maneuver, and would be incredibly inefficient in a, you know, high passenger city like Los Angeles. So again, not saying it would never happen, but highly unlikely. Something we discussed in the pilot a little bit and I want to touch on here. Uh, I want to say the, the removal, the removing of the deceased that Nate and Rico do at the nursing home is pretty spot on on the technique. 
one thing I would say though, uh, being that this was a nursing home job, a one man usually is fine to it, but having two people here for the sake of your back and your health, an extra hand always helps. Uh, something I did want to comment on though, and maybe this is LA, maybe this is just television and we're just more laid back here, but his attire, what he's wearing on the removal, which is basically hanging out clothes, uh, as a funeral director is unacceptable. A suit, a shirt and tie, if you have to be more comfortable, even slacks and a polo. You know, you have to keep some sort of professionalism when removing a deceased. And another thing here, you know, the dead body Nate is carrying makes a sound of sorts. And I'm here to say, no dead bodies make a sound involuntarily when they are dead. What they do make is a sound we call a death rattle. Now, uh, if I could explain that, it's basically any air left in the lungs eventually finds a way out if the deceased is being moved around. Uh, since the passageway to breathe out is closed, the sound the air makes coming out of the throat sounds sort of like a, a scoffing sound. Again, the dead isn't speaking or doing anything lively. It's just more air in the lungs escaping the lungs. Nate finally arrives back at the funeral home with Mr. Suarez after having his lunch date with Brenda. And I'll touch on Nate and Brenda later in the episode. But here, once Nate arrives, you know, David's pissed. And, you know, deservedly so. You know, grabbing lunch while on a removal is such a disregard for the dignity of the deceased. Am I saying you're never allowed to eat when performing a removal? Absolutely not. Uh, removals are sometimes hours and hours away, and we are human. What's the difference here is the stopping for the pleasure of a lunch date. That's disrespectful. You know, the Fisher discussion in the kitchen is a, a great scene showing how all the tensions are bubbling up. How long ago did Mr. Fisher die? There's no strong timeline we're working on here, but let's let's give it a week or so. And you know, everyone's still on edge. You know, everyone's like a, a lit firework, if I could. You know, the quick comeback of David not wanting his mother sleeping with hairdressers just tips the bucket right over. Ruth, and of course, why would she, has no idea how to react. She's never been in the situation where she's dating openly in front of her sons and talking about it. Not knowing how to react, lashing out, just gives a hard slap right to David. This moves the argument or the conversation downstairs with Nate and David. Uh, more tension, just getting out. You know, D David's sitting here, why did I work all these years you know, serving my father, keeping the family name strong. If the end game was just going to be the same for Nate, you know, Nate got to do what he wanted and when he wanted, you know, there's definitely resentment there from David for Nate being allowed to do so, you know, and I love the, uh, the interaction when, when Ruth is telling the boy she's going on this date, you know, going back to the pilot and, you know, growing their character, you could see Nate's organic reaction of, yes, you know, go ahead, go out and date, have fun. You know, while David, keeping the family name strong, Boy Scout, stick to the script. You know, he says, are you serious? You can't be serious. Just showing that long battle of organic versus artificial, what the two Fisher brothers are facing. You know, a nice nice showing of this is is in, in the episode. It happens kind of in the beginning and towards the end. You know, when Mrs. Swanson, the, the wife of our character who died in the beginning of the episode, when she's crying in front of David when they're making a funeral arrangements, David swiftly and very businesslike just kind of pushes the tissues towards Miss Swanson while she's crying. Later in the episode, when Nate is talking to her and she starts breaking down, Nate just goes and hugs her. So there's a very, you know, 
nature versus business going on here. And I think it's just a great symbolizing of the way the two characters are. But back to Ruth here and, you know, good for Ruth going out and trying to recover from her husband's death. And, you know, back in the pilot, I, I could see where Nate's coming from in relation to Ruth. You know, this is healthy. Go out and do something. A, a motion creates emotion sort of deal. Unfortunately, we see Ruth is not ready to do this, but it's a step in the right direction for her trying to get over and healing from her dead husband. Something quick I wanted to go over there it was a flashback that we saw in the pilot that kind of just got cut short and we see how that little flashback ended here in our second episode and that's where Nathaniel is embalming and Nate is there watching him while Nathaniel you know hands him gloves uh, offering to touch the dead body. Uh, what we didn't see in the pilot and is definitely translate to this episode where once he's handed the gloves, Nate just simply runs away. And, you know, I think that was a nice touch of what was going on in this episode. But as I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, we find out that Nate has to break the news to Mrs. Swanson that they have no money and that Mr. Swanson, her husband, was basically a fraud, you know, leaving her broke. And I have to think it's pretty tough to be to be told that and to be the one doing the telling. Uh, here, Nate offers a great alternative and very delicately so, you know, but manages to screw up one word while saying it, you know, renting the casket, um, which he does to Mr. Swanson and Nate, you know, the opposite of business savvy. And why would he be offers the same casket to the Suarez family? Uh, this doesn't set well with David. And again, we have that struggle of organic versus artificial. Uh, Nate can't see why he just can't do something that seems perfectly normal to everyone and anyone, you know, while David has to abide by the rules and just doesn't allow it. Uh, unfortunately, Nate is louder and closes the deal as we see on the Suarez family. I want to insert a public service announcement of sorts. Uh, we see here the disposition of Mr. Swanson uh, gets switched from burial to cremation. As the funeral director, I am here to say you can absolutely still have your traditional funeral when choosing cremation. View it like this. Everything remains the same during a funeral process, regardless of how the body is disposed. You know, very simply put, in the end, will you be buried or cremated? Yes, you can still be embalmed and have a public visitation if you choose cremation. Uh, the only variable here would be a metal or wood casket. A metal casket cannot be cremated, and therefore a wood casket would be best when choosing cremation. Great six feet under humor here when Keith shows up to the funeral home looking for David. And Keith and Nate are talking about how good of a quote-unquote racquetball player David is. Uh, Nate, still completely oblivious to David's sexuality, who we see is having dinner, blowing off Keith's plans with a female ex of his own. Uh, here we see him struggle with, you know, circling back to earlier, him being able to use the excuse of being on call, you know, comes back here to bite him in the ass. And as Keith being the rock, you know, was pretty easily able to catch him in the lie of his whereabouts. Keith, you know, always the strong rational one is not buying it and denies him the night. Later on, David and Nate go to get the paperwork out of the hearse in which Nathaniel died. And here, it's the first time Nate has had to deal with his father's death, away from all the artificialness he's been around. And you can see here, it really hits him. David, unwavering, you know, he just swoops in, 
grabs the paperwork, so businesslike. And Nate, watching him do this, can't comprehend this. He's been on his own track of dealing with it, but he never had to deal with the realism of it like David has, which makes it easier for David just to go ahead and get the paperwork. It's important to note, you know, David has been dealing with it, but in the form of his regular workload. Me being a funeral director, sometimes uh, when a death hits that close to home, you just step in your funeral director's shoes and want to handle the death, make sure everything goes right. You yourself never get to grieve as taking the caseload supplants that. You deal with the business side of it and never get to deal with the emotional side. We get a breakthrough with both Fishers as our episode winds down when Brother takes the Fisher boys on the bus. Quick note here, six feet under humor, the bus ad reads, I want to buy your business. Of course, that has everything to do with the Kroner and Gilardi business going on. But on the bus, which killed their father, this hits David really hard, and it's the first time we see the brothers actually be brothers. Uh, I think it's funny how they almost had to be placed in the killer's shoes in order for them to group together and grieve. Finally, our episode closes out as Nate places a gentle hand on David's and we fade to white. So that wraps up our episode. A few side notes I wanted to add, which I kind of glossed over. I left out Nate and Brenda's storyline as well as Claire's. Uh, Only because, you know, with regards to Nate and Brenda, I feel like this early in in the season, I cannot talk about them intelligently without bringing in their future. I'm approaching this as a week-to-week with no future spoilers. I will say regarding Nate and Brenda, I don't know how I would react personally if I saw my name tattooed on a significant other, despite me knowing it's not for me. I just don't know how I would react if I was in that situation. As for Claire, I just sort of thought there was only puppy love in her storyline, you know, with that side of kink being the foot fetish. I'm not smart enough to pull something together intelligent out of this. Uh, My main focus here on the podcast is talking about the death care industry of side of things with, you know, a little insight into what's going on in the episode. So that storyline we'll see wrap up. You'll see that this particular storyline, especially with the foot, will come into play later on in our next episode. Um, with that being said, please, if you have any questions, please email me at digging six feet under at gmail.com. If there's any questions or thoughts or criticism on the podcast, please, I would love to hear all of them, any of them. And if you're a fan of Reddit, uh, join me at reddit.com slash r slash six feet under to discuss this and more. Thank you. Join me next week as we will be talking about season one, episode three, titled The Foot. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under. And the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.